what a good day it's been so far, amen? Well, we've got a few things we're going to get into today. You know, we, uh, we're in a new month now. We've been in this month for about a week-ish, uh, just, just around that time frame. And uh, there's some things that I feel we need to talk about and discuss in relationship to things that are relevant for this month, but things that are relevant for us today, okay? We know that things that have happened through the scriptures, things that have happened in the past are also relevant for us now when we see in the future things as well, so, you know, some kind of that uh, we see our future in our past kind of a thing, but yet we know Yahweh is timeless, but we do know there's cycles and seasons that he brings us through, right? So there's some things that I want to show you regarding this month, and then we're going to kind of address a few things. First off, one of the things we're going to see, and we talked about this just for a second last week, is Heshvan. It's a, it's a time that uh, darkness is kind of ruling and reigning. You guys notice that now is when you notice the days are getting shorter, right? It's been doing it for a little while, but you notice it now, right? So the days are getting a little shorter, the darkness is moving in. So it's just kind of a natural thing, kind of showing some things. But yet we've also seen in the spiritual, how things are looking dark as well. I mean, look at all the turmoil, look at all the unrest that's been in the world just lately, right? So there's a lot of things that uh, the Father is trying to teach us in the, in the natural and in the spiritual as well, right? But understand this, in, in, the, in the world, like, let's just talk about like the trees and the plants and everything else, right? Now's the time like autumn, the leaves start changing, the, the, the plants start to die off and these things, right? But guess what happens in the spring? they come back, right? So just because something, it's, it's losing what it has here at the surface, beneath the surface, it's not dead. Beneath the surface, it's still alive. So this is a time that's showing us a few things. Uh, this is a time where discernment is needed, right? Scripture t tells us to discern between life and death, blessing and cursing. It tells us to discern between the light and the darkness. It tells us to discern between the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. And so that's a good example here, like the, the, the plants and these things, if they're starting to die off, it's not dead because unseen, the root is still alive. It's still living. It's just going through a cycle. It's just going through something that it's going through. And, and in the spring, it's going to burst forth back in life. Well, another thing that's given in this month of Heshvan is uh, the month that's also called Bul, which is uh, the idea of drying up. In other words, it's drying up and dying, right? So this is a time we've had the rains coming through the rains, but again, we're going to be coming out of the rainy season here shortly, right? And also uh, the flood. Now the flood, this is uh, traditionally speaking the time that the flood had happened and the time that it uh, came to an end, the time that it dried up. We know it rained for 40 days and nights, but we know that the water was present for much longer than that, right? So I said that it, here was the, the, uh, the time that it started and the time that it ended in, in that time as well. So we have a new seasons of life, new things being given to us, right? So these are some of the things we're going to learn about here. And and the, and the point of all that I want to make is in the darkness, what are we supposed to do? Be light. That's a good answer. I wonder where you got it from, right? <laughs> it's in the scripture. In the darkness, be light because we're to let our light shine. Well, guess what, guys? In and of ourselves, we really have no light. But if he lives in you, then he is the light that is in the world. He is the light that dwells within you. And therefore, it is him that wants to shine through you, right? What else do we know about the night and the day, these other things? Well, Romans 13, 12 says, The night is almost gone and the day is near, so let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, uh, guys, it's, it's time to prepare. Even, even in the darkness, it doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do. Even in the darkness, it means get ready because the light is coming. 
And we're supposed to work in that. We're supposed to be that light that's in the world. We're supposed to help share that. But yet, even when it looks dark, don't, don't get caught in the dark. The light's coming, right? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, in the mountains and the valleys, right? If you're in a valley, but you're going, you're going to get to the mountaintop. If you're in the mountaintop and you keep going, you're going to get in the valley, you know? So it's this consistency of life that the Father is calling us to walk in, right? Another thing we see in John 9, 4, and 5, it says, we must do the work of the one who sent me so long as it is day because the night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now that's interesting because he says, we do the work we can on the day because night is coming when no one can work. Now, nowadays it's kind of different, isn't it? Nowadays, the sun starts going down. We just kind of like string up lights, put up the big construction lights and keep working, right? It wasn't like that back then, <laughs> you know? Oh, it's getting dark. String up some lanterns. I still can't see, <laughs> right? So this is what we're looking at. The, the, and he's telling us the day is here, work. In other words, we have a task to do, right? And the, 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 the day is moving on with or without us. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting excited. <laughs> the day is moving on with or without us. So we need to make the most of the day while it is day because the night is coming. But even in the night, the day is coming. See what I mean? Cycles and seasons. But, but even so, in the midst of all this, we have things we need to be doing. And even in the midst of Heshvan, we see something, but there's kind of a contradiction of that. We see things dying. We see things curling up. We see things drying up. But guess what? It's still alive. So even though it may look that way, it's not. So we're in a time of contradictions. We're in a time of these things. So we have to learn to discern these things, thus bringing out conflict. Because what happens? Conflict is a good example. When you see something, but it is actually a different way, what's the, what is that? If not conflict. That's a conflict. We see something, but yet it's not. See, we think it's dead, but it's not. Like the plants and the flowers, the trees, you know, changing the colors, the leaves falling. You don't see much of that in Florida. We got two seasons, green and brown, right? <laughs> but up north, you know, the, the, the leaves are changing and it's kind of the optimal time right now. They're changing and getting all the nice, bright, pretty colors. And, uh, but yet that, that shows us something. Conflict can, can work a couple different ways, and there's many different ways to get in there. By no means is this an exhaustive thing, but this is something we need to, to search within ourselves, okay? We have an inner conflict. Is that true? Yeah, we have an inner conflict. You know the old story. You know, there's two wolves within you, right? The idea here is this. That which you feed will grow. That which you do not feed will end up dying off, okay? So the idea is, are we giving ourselves areas of life and light and blessing? Or are we feeding the areas in our life that produce not those things, right? So that which we pour into are the things that we get. You know, scripture says, if you reap to the flesh, you'll reap what? Destruction. But if you reap to the spirit and the things of life, you will, you will get back life. You reap what you sow. If you're planting good seed, you're going to get a good return, right? And so these are some things that we learn along the way. So inner conflict, James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? How many of us can say, bless you, brother. How many of us can say, we've had times when we feel we're torn? Yeah? When you feel like, okay, I want to do this, but I want to do that. But I want to do this. But I want to do that. <laughs> right? We, we have these two different ways. We're being pulled in two different directions. And, and, and what do we do? And again, that's where we need to stop and kind of 
pray and to put some discernment in these things because scripture says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. We need to choose a path, a path of life and the path that produces the goodness and the glory of the Father and produces his kingdom here. And these are back to the choices that we make. Okay, traditionally speaking, it's, it's considered two things, yetzer hara and the yetzer tov. The evil inclination and a good inclination is another way to paraphrase it. What does it say about Noah and his generation? It says the imagination of their hearts were for evil continually, right? You know, literally translated where it says the imaginations of their heart, how can a heart imagine, right? Literally what it's saying is the inclination of their heart. Okay, so the idea is if they were given the option of doing something that was good or doing something that was bad, they would every time opt to choose that which was bad. Something that was right or something that was wrong, they would every time opt for that which was wrong. Right, so that's what it is. That's what they were inclined to do. So thus, we're looking at ourselves. What is our inclination? What are we inclined to do? Are we inclined to do the things that the Father desires, the things that produces life in his word, the things that where Yeshua said, follow me? and we walk in his ways. Are we doing those things, that which is the good, right? And then if not, what are we following? Or what, or what are we producing in our lives, right? So this is a good inclination, Yetzirah Tov, and the evil inclination, Yetzirah So these are two things that we're looking at. And then conflict with others as well. Conflict with others, we see Luke 17, 1, Yeshua said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come but woe unto him through whom they come. So something I learned from this is, does scripture ever say you will never get offended? Actually, it says quite the contrary, doesn't it? It says uh, it is impossible, but that offenses will come, right? So the question then remains, what do we do with it? You know, what do we do with it? What happens after the fact? What happens next? Okay? It's not that offenses don't happen, it's a fact of do we reach out and grab it and coddle it and hold it and bring it in closer and going, ooh, that feels familiar. <laughs> or do we not do that and we turn away from those things? See? Right. So here's what we got to do. So he says, it is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. Now that says something to me that's different in there. It's like, so it's impossible that they'll come, but why do we have to be the ones to bring it? You know, I don't know too many people, granted they're out there, but I don't know too many people who actually literally seek out to offend people. Most of the time when an offense happens, it was something that just happened. It wasn't necessarily malicious or intentional. It was just a, a misunderstanding or something happened, right? So again, what happens in these things? What happens next? And I believe that one of the, that the, that one of the biggest tools that the adversary has today is offenses. Because if we can be offended with one another, we're not going to dwell in unity with one another. And, and there are times even when people get offended with the people of Yahweh, then they turn against Yahweh himself because they're offended with his people, which isn't right. It's not fair, but let's face it. That's human nature. That's what people do, isn't it? You know, uh, it's like, well, Yeshua, I have no problem with Yeshua, but his people, man, right? <laughs> that's because we're not perfect, okay? None of us are, so none of us can act like we are. However, we're all searching to pursue righteousness. We are all searching the heart of the Father, and we are all searching to do what he calls us to do. When Yeshua said, follow me, that's exactly what we're trying to do, okay? Now, a couple things to say regarding offenses, okay? Matthew 24, 6 to 13. Now, Yeshua is speaking, and he says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Did anybody 
you know, any time recently, you know. <laughs> so you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. And they shall then deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and you shall be hated in all nations for my name's sake. Sounds exciting so far, right? But keep going. Then many shall be what? And many shall be offended. So, so notice here, you know, one is like what other people are going to be doing, and now it's addressing the people of Yahweh. Okay, many people are going to be offended, and then that's going to lead to betrayal. Okay, they're going to be offended, they're going to betray one another, and hate one another. Okay, just by definition, can you feel betrayed by someone who you don't care about? <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. You only feel betrayal if you feel a relationship, right? Like you think of Yeshua and Judas, right? They were, they were close, but yet he betrayed him, right? So he's here. Because of offense, then betrayal, and then people will hate one another, right? Why? Because it's like, okay, they betrayed me, therefore I hate them, Right? You follow the, follow the progression. You can see it happening here, right? And then uh, what happens next? Verse 11. Oh, false prophets rise. See? <laughs> because, see, it, have you ever noticed that when you're, like, really good and mad and upset or really just really angry or just really feeling offended with somebody, there seems to always be someone coming up there to speak to that and not in the way they should? Yeah. It's always something like, oh, I can't believe they did that to you. Or really? Wow. Wow. Maybe, maybe, wow. maybe you should just not uh, go, you know, be around that person, you know? And I'm not saying that things don't happen, guys. I'm just saying, just consider how the prog progression of this happens, okay? The false prophets will rise and bring about deception, right? What do false prophets do? They prophesy falsely. What's the result? Deception. And they will deceive many, and because iniquity will abound. What's iniquity? Anomia means without the Torah, right? Ah, uh, meaning without nomos is the word for the Torah, the law that's there. It's there. So being without the Torah, so because the people are stepping outside of the boundaries of Torah, the love of many will grow cold. They're not walking in the love of Yahweh because they're not walking in according to his word or his ways because uh, then these offenses come. And what did Yeshua say about the offenses? He said, if, if an offense comes in between the brothers, try to resolve it. Right? Try to learn, try to walk together, try to do that. And this is again, guys, where scripture says, with as much as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. You gotta understand, not everybody wants peace. Not everybody wants to resolve it. Never, not everybody wants to make it right. You can't make it happen. Okay? But do your part. You know, do your part. Okay? And because if that's what you desire, then try to walk according to that. And if they don't want it, that's, a, that's between them and the Father. But you do your part. Let Yahweh handle it. Okay, so here, this is what happens. So because of all these things, then it says, but he shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now that tells me something else too. It doesn't say uh, that when all these things start to happen, you don't have to worry about it because it's not going to happen around you. No, he says he who, who will endure to the end. That means we're going to have to go through something. That means life is going to get hard sometimes. That means things are going to get difficult. Do we trust Yahweh on the mountaintops as much as we trust him in the valleys? Do we trust him in the valleys as much as we trust him on the mountaintops? See? It, no, no matter what we're going through, Yahweh is still Yahweh. He is still good. He is still on the throne. Okay? And we, we, we follow him no matter what. Okay? Now let's keep going. Matthew 5, 22. 
But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment. And everyone who says to his brother, Racha, shall be subject to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of Gehenna. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering upon the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, what does verse 24 say? Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Notice he doesn't say that when you go to, when you go to bring your offering, which was a korban, right? What was the idea of a korban? Korban is the Hebrew word that's used for it. It means something that is brought near. So it is something that we bring to be near to the presence of the Father as a representation of us. Okay? It's a means for us to approach Yahweh. So when they brought their offering, they were coming near to the Father by proxy, so to speak. Okay? So here they are, they're bringing these things. They want to worship Yahweh. They want to be in his presence. And Yahweh is saying, you want to come before me in my presence with all of this in your heart, an unrepentant and unresolved. And what he says is, first go talk to your brother and, and uh, make, reconcile with your brother. And again, that's where we come to, what if your brother doesn't want to reconcile? You do your part. Okay, And then he says, you come back and you can bring your offering and do that. Notice he doesn't say, just go ahead and leave and never come back. <laughs> you see, because now that puts the responsibility on us. We want to worship Yahweh. We want to do these things. Then Yahweh is telling us, get rid of these things in our heart that don't belong there. Give it to him. And if we have a role to do with the people that we're here in life involved with, then we need to take the, 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 the actions involved with that. Ultimately, so Yahweh can bring healing and so that Yahweh can bring restoration to our hearts and our lives too, okay? So again, coming before Yahweh with our korban, we is desiring to be at peace and whole with him. And that's reflected in us as we approach that altar. Because what we see, like example, like the peace offering, a peace offering, a Thanksgiving offering, a Thanksgiving offering, and a peace offering, it's the same category of offerings that were given in, in Leviticus. And you, they put portions of that on the altar, and then you receive portions of that back that you were to eat, and it was too much for you, so you had to invite others to come and partake and eat of this with you in a holy place, and it had to be eaten within a certain time frame, right? And so what happens is now, literally, this goes on the altar, which was Yahweh himself said his table. And so now when you get that back, what are you doing? You're eating from where? from Yahweh's table. And, then, and, and in doing so, it's a means of thanksgiving and peace. See, so those are some things that we're learning along the way there. Now, let's keep going. Deuteronomy 27, 6 and 7, regarding the altar. I want to bring this out a little bit. It says, you were to build an altar, Adonai, your God, of what kind of stones? Whole stones. All right. What does that mean? That means you did not cut them. Whole stones. All right. Granted, you find stones of all shapes and sizes and all of everything, right? But a whole stone, it means you didn't fashion it, you didn't cut it, you didn't shape it in any way. It was as you found it, right? Now look, and then you are uh, to offer the burnt offerings to Adonai your God. You are to sacrifice fellowship offerings, eat there, you will rejoice for Adonai your God. So where it says that, uh, that you are to build the altar of Adonai your God with whole stones, it is avanim. Evan is a word for stone. Evan is an interesting word because in it you have a, 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 a compound word. You have av and ben. And aleph bet, av, what is av? Father. What's ben? Son. So together as a picture of a stone, you have a, father, a picture of a father and son together. And what's the connecting letter? Ben. The, the, the bet, right? 
So what's a bet? House. So we have a picture here of a house that was built by Yahweh, and the connecting point was the father and the son coming together in one house, ultimately showing uh, at the very beginning in Bereshit, at the very beginning of everything, what is it? The first letter of, of the Torah is a bet, building a house, building a place for Yahweh to dwell. And again, we have a picture of this in the Evan, in the stone. Yeshua is considered the stone. He was the stone that followed the rock, the stone that followed them in the wilderness that gave them water. He is the cornerstone of the building of foundation of our faith and of the house for a place for us to dwell with Yahweh. Okay, so again, so the, the stones, Avanim, and then the word Shalomot. What sounds familiar to you when I say Shalomot? Shalom. And that's because that's the word that's used there for whole says, whole stones you will use uh, to, to make the altar of Yahweh your God. In other words, shalom stones. Whole stones. And shalom also means what? Peace. So you have stones that are whole, stones that are dwelling with peace. And what are they be, to be used for? An altar of Yahweh, a place of relationship, a place of meeting, and a place of being at peace with him. So we're, we're seeing word pictures. We're seeing things established to us there, okay? Exodus 20, 25 says, When you make an altar of stones, do not build it from cut stone. For if you use a tool on it, you have what? You have profaned it. Now, the idea here is, <laughs> we see idolatry all through the scriptures, right? If you take a stone and you start fashioning it, you're in danger of making an idol, right? <laughs> and Yahweh says, don't, don't, don't make idols, don't fashion idols, don't form idols, don't do these things. So the idea is if we take a stone and we start shaping it the way that we want it to use for an altar of Yahweh, we're, we're making what we have in our mind a picture of what we're using for Yahweh. And Yahweh says, if you're going to build an altar for me, you do it with the stones I made, not the stones you made. Fast forward a little bit. Doesn't scripture say you are living stones? So what does this mean with the stones? We can't look at one another and say, you, you know, as a stone, you don't look quite right. Let me knock off a few, few corners for you. You need to look this way to be this stone. No, we can't do that. And if we are to be living stones, then we need to be dwelling together, building something for Yahweh to use for his glory. How about an altar that glorifies him, a place where we lay our lives down and where he is glorified in a place of, rest, of restoration and relationship. And if we're living stones, see, a, stone's just, a whole bunch of stones all over the place don't build anything. But if you put stones together in order, then you can build something. And that's what I'm saying. If we're living stones, we need to build something that glorifies the Father. How about an altar or a temple? Because Scripture says you are a temple for the Ruach HaKodesh, right? You are a place for Him to dwell. You are a place for Him to live. He dwells within you. So again, if we are living stones, then we need to be used for our purpose. And we need to be careful that we're not trying to fashion all the other stones to look just like us because you got problems in your stone too, <laughs> right? We, not, none of us are perfect. But if he fashioned us and if he formed this and he's like, use my stones the way I gave them to you and start building. See, that's where we can learn something. And we see that again in Deuteronomy 27, four through six, Moshe told 
Israel, when you cross over into the land, you're to build an altar of Adonai with whole stones and offer burnt offerings. And in Joshua 8, 30 and 31, we see that's what Joshua did. When they went over in Shechem, where they're at Mount Nebal and Mount Gerizim, and they declared the blessings of the covenant, the curses of the covenant, they built the altar there. And to even prevent from writing in the stones, they, 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 uh, uh, we read how they covered the stones with plaster and they wrote the Torah on the stones. See, so they weren't carving in the stones, they were carving in the plaster. See, again, I believe it's an idea of representation of our heart and our flesh and the word being written within us as well. Okay. 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5, like we said, to come to him a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up as a what? A spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through the Messiah, Yeshua. All right, so what did Yeshua have to say? We're, looking, we're talking about altars, brothers, misunderstandings. We're talking about these things. What else do we see in the scripture regarding this? Guys, I, I want to point this out to you. Uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 22, there's a pretty major event that happens in here. And uh, there's some things that we can learn from this. All right. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to go quickly through this because uh, I'm kind of like, I can't just give you one verse out of this and, 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 and get the idea of what's happening here. Okay. So we're going to go through this pretty quick. All right. So we're going to read Joshua 22. So Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of Adonai, commanded you, and you have listened to my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not abandoned your kinsmen these many days to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of Adonai your God. So now Adonai your God has given rest to your kinsmen, as he said to them, So now turn and go to your tents, to the land that is in your possession, which Moshe, the servant of Adonai, gave beyond the Jordan. So again, they went they in, and they possessed the land, they did these things, and now Joshua is saying, Guys, it's finished. Remember how uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh was supposed to be on the other side of the Jordan. So he's like, guys, everything's finished. We're good. Go back to your, your dwelling places. Go back to the, the allotment that Yahweh has given to you. And let's just start living our life. Right? Okay. Verse 5. Only be careful to observe the mitzvah and the Torah, which Moses, the servant of Adonai, commanded you to love Adonai your God, walk in all his ways, and keep his mitzvot, cling to him, and worship him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given inheritance in Bashan, but to the other tribe, Joshua gave territory among the kinsmen to the west of the Jordan. Moreover, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he spoke with them, saying, Return to your tents with great wealth and with very much cattle, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and, with very, and very many clothes, and the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from Manasseh, Israel, at Shiloh, in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their inheritance that they possessed, according to the mouth of Adonai, by Moshe's hand. So now when they came to the region near the Jordan and the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, a large, conspicuous altar. Don't you like how it says that? <laughs> so when they, got, when, 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 when they returned back to their place, there by the, the area of the Jordan where it can be seen there, it doesn't just say they built an altar. It says they built a large, conspicuous altar. <laughs> You're like, okay, what's going on here? Now, what do we learn from the Torah? Where were they supposed to build an altar? 
the place where Yahweh says that his name is to dwell there. Wherever his tabernacle or his temple stood, that's where the altar was supposed to be. Yahweh said, well, you know, when you go into the land, you're not supposed to do in this day, just set up altars wherever you want. You go to the place where I place my name to, do the alt- to, to make your offerings and your sacrifices. Why were they building an altar? Right? So what was going on here? Right? And it wasn't just a little altar. They weren't even trying to hide it. They built a big, conspicuous altar. <laughs> right? I just love the phrasing how they put it. So what happens next? Verse 11. And Manah Israel heard about it and said, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar opposite the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan across from Manah Israel. And when Manah Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of Manah Israel assembled at Shiloh to go up against them in war. Stop and think about this for a second. They just went through war. They just finished all this. They've gone back home now. They've, they're setting up their homestead. They're doing all these things. And now they've heard that their brothers who, went, who crossed back over the Jordan, their brothers who are over there on the other side now, built this altar, and they are ready to come out and go to war with their brothers who helped them in the land. Things turned pretty quick, didn't it? What's going on here? Verse 13, So Benazrael Israel sent word to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, the Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the Cohen, and with him the chieftains, one chieftain of the ancestral house, each with the tribes of Israel. Every one of them was the head of his ancestral house among the thousands of Israel. Verse 15, So they came to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of Adonai. They sent representatives to them, Right? And they, so they went to go, you know, talk to them, talk to them, right? So this is the whole congregation of Adonai. What is this treachery that you have committed against the God of Israel by turning away from following Adonai, building yourselves an altar, rebelling this day against Adonai? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came upon the congregation of Adonai, so that you would turn away this day from following Adonai? Now you rebel against Adonai today, and tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel? They're saying, what are you doing building this altar? Don't you know that by your actions here, you're going to affect the entire nation just from what you're doing here? We Didn't we just say, when you go back to the land, follow the Torah of Yahweh, and you're setting up an altar? What are you doing? Right? Let's keep going. Verse 19. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of Adonai, where Adonai's tabernacle stands. Acquire holdings among us, but do not rebel against Adonai or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of Adonai our God. Did not Echen, the son of Zerach, act unfaithfully concerning the things under Ben, so that the wrath fell on the entire community of Israel? Nor did the man perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh answered, and they spoke to the heads of the thousands of Israel. Verse 22. God of gods is Adonai. God of gods is Adonai. He knows and may Israel itself know if we acted in rebellion or in treachery against Adonai, don't spare us this day. If we have built an altar to turn away from following Adonai, or if it was to offer burnt offerings or grain offering on it, or to offer sacrifices of fellowship offerings on it, let Adonai himself require it. But we have done this rather out of anxious concern for a reason, saying, in the future, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with Adonai, the God of Israel? Stop and think about this for a second, what's being said. What's separating them from the land? 
The Jordan is separating them. So we have this people of Israel in this land over here, and then across the Jordan, we have those people of Israel over there. And this is, this is the idea of, of, uh, of in here, and they have the tabernacle, they have all these things, but it would be easy for them to not recall those that are across the river. I mean, think about that. If you could go somewhere, and then you, if you have to cross the river and go somewhere, which is the, which is the, the, the harder journey, right? And so the idea is, it's just this the way it is. They're not going to have that much contact with the people across the river as they, as they are the people right next to them. But Yahweh is saying, don't forget them. They're part of your people. They're part of our nation, part of your brothers, right? And this was the concern that was over here. So they, they said, we built an altar to stand as a monument, not for use. We built it to remind all of us that we are one people and we are connected by the presence of Yahweh, the altar, by that which is there, the relationship of that altar and that coming into the presence of the one true God. That's what connects us, right? It's not about being in the same region or the same whatever. No, it's, it's, it's covenant relationship, okay? Verse 25. For Adonai has made the Jordan a border between us and you, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad. You have no share in Adonai. So your children may take or may make our children stop fearing Adonai. Therefore we said, let's now build an altar for ourselves, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifices, but for a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, so that we may do the service of Adonai before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our fellowship offerings. Then your children may not say to our children in times to come, you have no share in Adonai. Verse 28. Therefore we said, if they, say to, if they say such to us with our future generations, then we will say, see the replica of the altar of Adonai, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against Adonai and turn away this day from following Adonai by building an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, and for sacrifice besides the altar of Adonai our God that stands before his tabernacle. So when Pinchas, the Kohen, and the leaders of the congregation, the heads of the thousands of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them well. 31. So Pinchas the son of Eliezer, the Kohen, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, today we know that Adonai is in the midst of us because you have not committed treachery against Adonai. Now you have delivered B'nai Israel from the hand of Adonai. Then Pinchas, the son of Eliezer, the Kohen, and the leaders returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan. The B'nai Israel brought back a report to them, and it pleased at B'nai Israel and B'nai Israel blessed God, and they did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the children of Reuben and the children of Gad were living. So the children of Reuben and the children of Gad named the altar, for it is a witness between us that Adonai is God. Whew. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so here's the thing, guys. They built this altar there, and all the people of Israel rallied together and said, let's go to war with them. Was that the right action? And you think, they could, just, they could they'd be acting zealously for Yahweh. I mean, right? But who was addressed here? Who went? Pinchas, the high priest. Pinchas, the priest, the son of Eliezer. Pinchas, you know, Pinchas, the one with the spear. Pinchas, right? 
And Pinchas operated in wisdom, and he goes, let's send, let's send some leaders and go talk to them and find out what's happening first. All of Israel got together and said, look what they're doing, we need to nuke them. <laughs> and Pinchas said, let's go talk to them, find out what's going on. Talk to them and see, you know, see what the accusations are and do that. The thing is, much like with us, how quick are we to jump on a situation where we don't know all the facts? We're pretty good at it, you know? So in order of just jumping on a situation without having all the facts, maybe there needs to be some conversation had, right? And then what if it's a situation that doesn't, here, here's the hard part, what if it's a situation that doesn't concern us, but we think it does? <laughs> That's another issue, isn't it? But we need to learn to dwell together in this. They weren't doing anything wrong. Matter of fact, they were trying to build a place of remembrance for the people of Yahweh so that nobody would be cut off and it would all come together in a place of unity now and for time that is yet to be. So they were doing honorable things, but in doing honorable things, the entire nation of Israel got offended <laughs> and was ready to go to war with them. So, yeah, what can we learn from this? We need to be careful. And we need to operate with some wisdom here like Pinchas did, right? And we need this just to go and, and, and to talk. So it's like if we have an issue with our brother, a lot of times what we perceive may not be what was intended. And so we have to consider that as well. Matter of fact, we see that in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 17 says that the first to state his case seems just until what? Until another comes and cross-examines him. What that means is the first person to state their case seems right, but there's always another side of the story. There's always more information we don't know. Do you ever somebody tell you something, but they leave out the convenient facts? <laughs> and when, when, you, if, when you get all the facts, then you see it's a much different picture than was painted for you. <laughs> see, and that's what we're saying. There's, there's places here where, where we don't have the whole story, but this is where we need to trust Yahweh. We need to follow him and his word. His witness is true, his witness is sure. But in relationship with one another, we need to have more conversations than accusations. Okay? Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not rise up against a person for any offense or a sin that he commits. By the word of two or three witnesses is a case to be established. And in Psalm 119.142 says, Your justice is righteousness forever, and your Torah is truth. So what is truth? The Torah is truth. All right? That's what we see here. Your, ju your justice is righteous forever and your Torah is truth. But there are many things that we have in life that we can see that are true. There's a lot of things that are true, but there is only one solid dependent truth. And because of that, we often think, well, the way that I now see it is the only truth that there is and the only way it can absolutely be. The problem is you thought the same thing five years ago. You with me? See, we need to trust Yahweh and understand. We need to walk in what we understand now, okay? But by walking in what we understand now, he may reveal something else to you tomorrow that may just absolutely, uh, I'm not going to want to say contradict everything that you've known, but may just ex expand everything. See, there's many different ways to see it. How many of you have seen this picture before? All right, you have, you have one object there that's truth, but perspective, you can see different parts of it. None of us have the whole picture, right? None of us can see the whole thing, but depending on your perspective and how you approach it is going to affect what you see, right? 
How many of you can think you can pretty much agree with this statement? Until you see this one. And you could go on, there's more, but I'm not. <laughs> the idea is there is one solid truth, the word of Yahweh. That's it. How we perceive that and understand that, we need to work on. No matter where we're at, no matter where we're at, we need to constantly seek him. We need to constantly be asking him to reveal his words to us and continue to be walking by his Ruach HaKodesh and, and, uh, and just continue to do that. And we need to learn to walk with one another in the midst of that as well, because he's the only one that's right, <laughs> right? So we need to learn to follow him and to make corrections with us along the way. James puts it this way. Again, where do the quarrels and the conflicts among you come from? Don't they come from this? Namely, your passions that battle within your body parts. You crave, have not. You murder and you envy, yet you cannot get it. You fight, you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. But when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so you may spend it on your passions. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, uh, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that in vain the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit which he made to dwell in us? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to whom? He gives grace to the humble. That's right. So God being gracious to us, he gives his grace to those whom are humble. Therefore, what do we do? Be humble. Submit to Yahweh. Resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of Yahweh, and he will lift you up. Okay? Do not speak evil against one another. See that? Why does he say, humble yourselves in the sight of Yahweh, and he will lift you up? And right after that, he says, don't speak evil against one another. Because... That's directly, these two things are directly related. If we're humbling ourselves, we're not going to be speaking evil against one another. Okay, if we're humbling ourselves, we're going to be help working to lift one another up. We're going to be learning to lift up the body and trying to, to help to give the body what it needs. So again, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the Torah and he judges the Torah. But if you judge the Torah, you are not a doer of the Torah, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you who judges your neighbor? So again, this brings us the idea of our responsibility with one another is to learn to walk with one another, help each other out, you know, exhort when needed, encourage when needed, try to help bring correction when needed. But we need to do so humbly and in love, right? We need to do so because of, of a, a relationship with the Father in the midst of that, right? Remember what Yeshua said, again, Yeshua and the altar and the brothers, Matthew 5, 21 to 24. Again, we've already covered this, but again, if you go to bring your offering before Yahweh, you want to draw, draw close to Yahweh, you want to draw near to Yahweh, but yet we're harboring uh, resentment and anger and everything else towards someone else, you're going to be hindered in your process of trying to draw near to the Father. So again, humble yourself so that you can draw near to Yahweh and he will lift you up. Okay, let's, let's cover this quickly. Three, three principles of conflict. We've talked about conflict, but three principles of conflict. One, communication, behavior, and change. Right? And we'll, cover, we'll go through these pretty quick. Communication, behavior, and change. Again, this is not an exhaustive thing. Of course, none, none, nothing you can get in, in one message ever is, okay? But these are things that we should look at and, and consider in helping with one another doing these things. So first, communication. Let's look at Nathan and, Dan, uh, Nathan and David. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. You guys know the story of, of uh, Bathsheba, right? 
And uh, however you want to draw the lines of however that was, what David did was wrong, absolutely wrong. And, uh, and now Nathan has the task of going and confronting David. And how's he going to do it? Right? I mean, consider this. Nathan, the prophet, he could go and confront David publicly and make this big announcement. And he, and he could say what's right, but he would also shame David. And then David could have his head. <laughs> And he could stand justifiably. I'm losing my life because I took the truth. Or he could have a little wisdom, which he did, get the point across, and continue in his life and his and, and the service and, and serving David and serving Israel and doing all these things. Again, a little bit of discernment, a little bit of wisdom goes a long way. So what do you do? Adonai sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said to him, There were two men in the same city. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly huge flock and a herd, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate from his own morsel and drank from his own cup and nestled in his own bosom, and it was to him like a daughter. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but he was unwilling to take one from his own flock or herd to prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man that had come to him. And David's anger blazed hot against the man and said to Nathan, As Adonai lives, the man that did this deserves to die. Tell me his name. Right? <laughs> He's like, he knows there's a point here. He knows this isn't just a story. He knows something is happening here, right? He says, the man who did this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did such a thing and showed no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Hmm. He says, thus is Adonai, the God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. So, there's a few things that happen here. One, Nathan confronted David, but he confronted him with the right words. I believe fully that Nathan was probably angry with David, but he didn't confront him in anger. He chose him the right words, wisdom, and at the right time, so where David would hear it, perception. And in a way to effectively say what needed to be said, a communication method. Instead of just coming out making an accusation where David would try to deny it, he got David to think about what he did. And to further right attention, what were the motives? And then to the right person. Notice he didn't go around to David's court telling the story. He went to David. Right? And in this, there were some things that came out of that. Okay? Now, now next, Behavior. Behavior. One of the things we have to learn about behavior is this. We need to remove the temptation to be controlling or critical. That's a big one, isn't it? And some of us might think, well, no, not really, but it kind of is. Right? We have to remove the temptation to be controlling or critical. If we feel the need to control a situation or a person, we actually raise the level of conflict. Also, attempting to control or manipulate a person is the core of witchcraft. Manipulation works the same way as witchcraft, guys. If we're controlling or critical, we will feel the need to confront or challenge those who do not agree with us. How many of you guys have ever done that? Well, they don't agree with me and I need to go to let them have it. <laughs> it's not the way we're supposed to be. It's not to say we can't talk to people. It's not to be that we can't, we can't disagree or have conversations to do things, but we can't do it with that attitude, right? The need to control 
is not about anyone else. It's about yourself. Rather, it's based on a need of fear. It's still about you, not others. 2 Samuel 6, 20-22. So David returned to bless his own household, but Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. What did David do? He was dancing before the Lord. Remember, they were bringing the ark in into Jerusalem, and David was dancing before like Yahweh. He, he, he pulled off his outer garments, and he was, oh, the king is not very dignified right now. <laughs> right? And so Michal, she came out. What was she doing? She's, oh, how the king was very distinguished today, wasn't he? <laughs> right? And then, and then when David uncovered himself today in the eyes of the slave girls of his subject, as any vulgar fellow would shamelessly uncover himself. And then it was before Adonai, David said to Michal, who chose me instead of your father and all his household, appointing me ruler over the people of Adonai over Israel. So I danced before Adonai. And I will dishonor myself even more than this. And I will be low in my own eyes, yet in the eyes of the slave girls whom you mentioned, I will be honored. He is saying, I'm not trying to be distinguished or dignified as myself. I will humble myself before Yahweh, and, and he chose me to do this. And if I'm going to dance for Yahweh, I'm going to dance for Yahweh. See? So again, what was his behavior? It was towards that which would not be just to honor himself, but that which would seek to bring honor to Yahweh. Matthew 16, 21. So from that time on, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the ruling Kohanim and the Torah scholars would be killed and raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Master, this must never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but the things of men. So he's saying, you know, what's, what's your thought process? What's your behavior? What are your actions? What are you saying, Peter? He's like, no, Peter, you don't understand. These things need to happen, and you need to stop yourself before you say something you shouldn't or do something you shouldn't, right? Job 40, 1 through 4. Adonai answered Job. Boy, Job had some conversations with Yahweh, didn't he? And how many times did Job just go on a rant? And then what did Yahweh say? <laughs> Adonai answered, Will the one who contends with Shaddai correct him? Let him who accuses God answer. And Job answered Adonai. He said, Indeed, I am unworthy. What can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. <laughs> when, Yahweh, when Yahweh spoke to Job, Job realized, I'm saying nothing. I've got nothing left to say. Nope, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> Matthew 7, 1 through 4. Yeshua, stop judging so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the beam in your own eye? How will you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and look at the beam in your own eye? You know, a lot of people do take this out of context. See, judge not lest you be judged kind of a thing. The problem is we are to render righteous judgments in our life. We are to work righteously. We are to discern these things. But the problem is we got double standards. I'll hold you to a higher standard. I hold myself, right? That's not the way we're supposed to be. See, we need to hold ourselves to the standard of Yahweh and his word and walk in that, right? And, and we need to lift each other up to consider one another better than ourselves. And that way we're not looking down on anybody. We're trying to help each other out. And it's hard to be judgmental of someone who you're just trying to help. And who's a, who you also consider, you know, a brother or a sister, right? Okay. Romans 14, 10 to 13. 
It says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you too, why do you look down on your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says Adonai, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So that each one of us will give account of his brother. That's not what it says, is it? <laughs> What's it say? Each one will give account for himself. Will give account of himself. Um, where am I at? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I lift that night, every knee will bow to me and every tongue can give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another from now on, but rather decide this, not to put a stumbling block or a trap in the way of a brother. That's a completely different way to live, isn't it? Not to try to catch our brother, no, but to try to not put the stumbling block there and to try to help shine light, to try to help point the way, and to try to help consider to do these things. That's what we're supposed to do as people of Yahweh. And that means change. That means a, a change in life, change of behavior, change of the way we view the word, change of the way we view life in general, change the way we do all of these things. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 18 says, So from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Messiah according to the flesh, we no longer yet know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a what? New creation. Guess what, guys? That includes you. That includes all of us. If we are in the Messiah, we're a new creation. And tomorrow morning, we will be a new creation. <laughs> the day after that, we will be a new creation. <laughs> right? So again, if we're learning to walk with him day by day by day, and if his mercies are new to us every day, then guys, we need to walk in those new and fresh every day. Therefore, for he was the Messiah, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through the Messiah and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation, right? That takes work, doesn't it? We talked about restoration last week. That takes work. And reconciliation for the same. Revelation 21.5. The one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things what? New. And then he said, Right, for these words are trustworthy and true. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, Song of David, a contemplative song. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is pardoned. Blessed is the one whose guilt Adonai does not count, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the droughts of summer, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not hide my iniquity. And I said, I confess my transgression to Adonai and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. See that? David is saying, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the one who's pardoned. He's like, I, I needed it. <laughs> I was heavy with the weight of the things of life. I was heavy with these things. But yet Yahweh forgave and restored and renewed. And that is what we're to be walking in every day every day. Psalm 133.1 says what? We sang we the song earlier, didn't we? Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell gam yachad, together in unity. Together in unity. Yachad is the word that's used there. You, you may have heard a form of yachad as echad, one, right? It's the same root word that's used there. Echad, yachad, it's the same thing in there. Yachad is also a word for yachid, which is used in relationship to Yeshua. So we're talking about dwelling together in unity as one because we have one Messiah. We have one shepherd. We have one Elohim. And it is him that we follow. Two more things. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For once you were what? 
Notice it doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. But now what? But now in union with the Lord, you are light. So what's the result of that? Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. See, Yeshua said, he is the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. We read in John 1, 1, that is the life of light that was in the beginning, and that light is the light of men. In other words, if there's any light in you, it's him. And so he is the light of the world. He is the light that gives life. And so if we're dwelling in him, we're no longer darkness. We're walking in light. But we need to walk as children of the light right? If we say we're following him, then we need to follow him, right? We can't say, I'm following you, and then take off that way. If we're following him, we need to follow him, and we need to walk with him. Lastly, 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him and keep walking in the darkness, we're lying, we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with who? one another. And the blood of his son, Yeshua, purifies us from all sin. We have fellowship with Yahweh, and when we have right relationship with Yahweh, and that will bring us to a place of having relationship with his people and understanding we are part of a people called by his name. And we need to be a people to glorify him together. Amen.